and you're listening to In Your Face on 3CR with James. On today's show, Melbourne musicians, Harder Tracks and Dane Blacklock from Dane Blacklock and the Preacher's Daughter. 3CR Well, Harder Tracks is currently working on their new album and we chatted this week. Hello, thanks for having me, James. It's a crazy time of adapting and pivoting in this COVID world, isn't it? It sure is, yeah. It, every day there's something new, um, but, you know, we do what we have to do and we just keep at it, I suppose. It's been a little bit up and down for me. It's been pretty good recently. Um, the last lockdown, I guess it was number five, that kind of hit me a little bit differently and I went in a bit of a darker place. But this one's been this one's been pretty good. I've been very productive. I think I've recorded about five to six songs in the last two to three weeks or something, which has been pretty, pretty good for me. Um, because I've been going through a bit of a writer's block and um, that's always a hard one to get out of and to know how to get out of it. But um, yeah, thankfully um, I've used this time and just kind of focused and knuckled down on writing a couple of new songs. Um, so it's been great in that sense. Now this new EP that you're writing, it's called uh, Honour Amongst Thieves. Let's start with the title. What's that all about? Sure. Well, it's a tentative title um, and it's come about, I suppose, um, just you know, with this notion um, of honour being amongst thieves and when people say, that there is none, um, they're just not really getting the entire story or the sentiment behind it. Um, the EP is a collection of really personal songs with, um, uh, with stories relating to people that I've met, um, you know, who are on the fringes of society and who potentially don't play by the certain, you know, by the rules that society plays by um, for a multitude of reasons. Um, and it's just basically about... Um, the dignity of these people and the fact that they are just like everybody else. They've just got a different set of circumstances. So yeah, it's a, it's about these relationships and um, being a family united by that. So tell us the backstory to these connections. They're far and wide. They're usually people I meet on the street. Um, a lot of people who are displaced with homelessness, um, people through people struggling with addiction. Um, I mean, there's, there's a multitude of people um, that I kind of sing about um, a lot in Gravity Call, my recent album that I dedicated to Johnny Fire, um, who yeah, rest in peace, Johnny Fire. Um, but yeah, the EP is, I guess, a an extension of Gravity Call, um, and it's just snippets of encounters with strangers and um, those moments of honesty and those pockets of truth that you actually can't find so easily with, you know, friends that you've known for years or. Uh, just people at the club, it's it's one of those fleeting moments where everything's on the table because you've got nothing to lose and you don't know the person. Um, I've just found that there's been so much rawness and um, intimacy in those moments and, um, yeah, I like singing about it. So it sounds like there's been some, spontane- some spontaneous connections uh, where you just see people on the street and you talk to them, yeah? Uh, yeah, I suppose, that's, I suppose that's correct. I think it's a lot of it's rooted in... Um, I guess a lot of it's rooted in the fact that we lived share experiences to some degree and the overlap um, has kind of frightened me sometimes how, um, you know, how close you can get to uh, being volatile in certain situations. So I've, I've, yeah, I've attracted a lot of those relationships just through being, um, I guess, a little bit entwined with uh, this lifestyle. So tell us a bit more about this volatility. It sounds fascinating. Um, it's not particularly fascinating. It's a little bit. Um, it's a little bit difficult to navigate, I suppose. Volatility. I sp- I speak of in the sense of um, stability, housing stability. Um, that's been a big 
issue for me in the past. Um, luckily, I'm in a really, really great place now and very thankful um, to be where I am with great people um, who were just really coming together and supporting each other. And um, that's that's been really, really great for me, actually, at the beginning of this year. Um, but yeah, look, volatility in all in all senses of the word, um, navigating queer life, uh, everything that's going on in the world right now, the um, injustices, you know, we're supposed to wake up in the morning and <laughs> continue doing what we do. Um, but it sometimes gets really, really difficult um, to do that. Um, yeah, so I think... Um, when I speak about volatility, I just mean, um, the way we fluctuate through life with our emotions and our coping mechanisms. It sounds like it's been a a very emotional time for you. Can you tell us a bit more about what you've personally been going through? Look, I think the last lockdown, uh, particularly, uh, just set me back a little bit. I, I did drink, um, a little bit more than I usually do. Um, I found it quite confronting, uh, just in a, I don't know, just in a, just in my own, just in my own way, I kind of started questioning what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. And if it's ever going to get me anywhere, um, cause you know, I've been, I've been, I've been working, I've been hustling since I was 16 on multitude of projects on a body of work that started in photography. Um, I went to publishing, art direction, styling, and, you know, I've started music in the last couple of years. And sometimes, yeah, during that lockdown, I just kind of got this overwhelming sense of nihilism and just this overwhelming sense of what is the point in everything. Um, It wasn't superb for me, but like I was saying before, um, I've got a really great support network at home through my housemates. um, And that, yeah, really helped turn things around. It's interesting because we last chatted in June last year and I've been watching you on social media. I've been, you know, watching your amazing posts on Instagram. You are thriving creatively. Thank you. Yeah, I um, I realised that there was a backlog of stuff that I haven't actually uploaded from a long time ago, and I'm not sure why that is. I think it's potentially because I have the two accounts, my personal heart attracts, and then the work I do with Faint, which is primarily visual-based um, stuff, the photography and the 3D and um, sometimes events. Um, but yeah, I've just started migrating everything into the one account, which is, um, harder tracks because I find now that, um, now that music is kind of becoming, um, quite a big part of the pie and it's, um, coming towards the forefront. I just want to encapsulate everything that I do under that one name. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been a busy time. Um, even with, you know, the restrictions working as a photographer, um, I've been able to get, um, some great work on vinyl covers and 3d design and some film um lots of editing um so yeah very thankful for all of that and you're listening to an interview with harder tracks on three crs in your face
tracks there gravity call so gravity call is the title track of the album um gravity call which was released on february 22 uh, my birthday this year uh for me uh, that that song actually um gravity call i recorded maybe two or three days uh before the release of the album just because i was really dissatisfied i don't know there was a piece of the puzzle that wasn't quite there in the album before that song um and i kept talking to everybody about it and i kept saying you know there's 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 no magic. There's not that element that really ties it all in together and makes it make sense. So I, it eventually came to me and I recorded it under my desk because I didn't have a vocal booth or anything at the time. Um, and yeah, as soon as I did it, I just knew that it was going to be the title track, um, which subsequently mean, meant that the other track called Gravity Call is now called Myth of Air, which is the second to that. But um, essentially it's about um, hearing the call of the universe, hearing the call of the earth and within coming back down to basics, um, realizing what's important. Um, and I guess moving forward, um, stronger than before. Um, I don't know, I guess it sounds a little bit cliche, but for me, it was really important to release, um, quite ritualistically on my birthday, just to kind of solidify the fact that I have gone through all these chapters and it is time to close that book, um, and to move on, um, to whatever happens next. (laughs) We'll see. Wow. Tell us a bit more about the rituals and how you approach them. Um, I think it's kind of an inherent part of the way that I kind of see the world and operate. Um, I'm a Pisces, if that's um, any kind of indication. Um, and I kind of romanticize a lot of um, uh, a lot of things in numerology. And I released um, on my birthday, I like to do things on the full moon, um, uh, like losing mother. Um, I can't remember when I released that, but there was some significance to it. Everything was, especially with Gravity Call, um, it was all kind of, planned or the releases were you know significant to me and it sounds like you recorded it in a really grassroots way can you talk us through the process the actual technical process of producing the track um uh, the track itself or the in or the entire album yeah the track i'm really interested in how you approached it um i approached it by not having any uh, kind of concept of what i wanted to do i just knew that i needed um I just knew that I needed some kind of magic to the album. And so I just started experimenting with a bunch of synths that I 
you know, are VSDs that I hadn't used before. Um, and I experimented with my voice. I sung quite low in this one, um, which wasn't featured in any of the songs. And I think that was one of the, the things that really kind of, um, you know, made my eyes, my ears prick. Sorry. I, I heard my voice um, lower than I usually hear it. And I thought this is probably um, something that I want to include on the album um, just because it is a song about, um, yeah, it's got this really guttural feeling about just owning it and coming back down to earth. That sounds so exciting, the evolution of your voice just happening by chance. Or are you picking up on it by chance? No, I do like to experiment with the way I sing with my inflections and sometimes um, sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. But, yeah, with this, with this track I decided that um, it just really fit and um, it was a part of me that I don't usually share and I haven't uh, featured it in any songs before, so I thought um, why not chuck it in and I just, yeah, I ended up loving the track um, and I was really glad that I made it because everything makes sense now, in my head at least, maybe not to others, but... The outro that I that I've got the the monologue it's uh, it's going through all the different titles of the album itself um, and kind of weaves the story about um, yeah the album as a whole. You also directed Claire Brown's video for Self Care Sunday. Uh, tell us about that. I did. That was a that was a really wonderful time. Um, I've made a really great friendship um, in Clary Brown. We've um, we came together to what did we do? So the first time I worked with Clary was for a um, a single cover. I did some three D um, um, design for her cover, and then she approached me and she asked me if I wanted to work on a video. Um, and we had no real sense of what that video was going to be, whether it was going to be, you know, uh, content for Instagram, if it was going to be 15 second snippets for stories. But um, in true fashion, we kind of just decided to go all out and make a video clip and see what happened. And um, we pulled from some great designers and we had great help from Shag and Vintage Garage and the uh, Thornbury Picture House and Kenny Lover. Um, and we just, yeah, threw together a really, really fun concept um, and had a really great time along the way. Um, super proud um, of what we did and so happy to have met her um, through that process. You've also been on the Mutants mixtape, a uh, really exciting project, not-for-profit project. Tell us about that. Yeah, I've been um, I've been involved a little bit with the Mutants mixtape when I first um, submitted my track Pillar uh, for Volume 2, which was Riot. Um, it's a non-for-profit community mixtape uh, with all proceeds going to various charities around the world. Uh, the most recent was... Uh, the Red Crescent um, Society um, for the devastating um, things that happen in uh, happening in Palestine. Um, otherwise, the one that I was um, a part of, right, that was um, uh, raising funds to support um, sex workers, people of color, marginalized communities around the world, um, just to empower them and to um, provide some support. It's been a really, yeah, fantastic project. Um, I'm really, really proud to be a part of it, and I've discovered heaps of great artists through the process. Um, yeah, they're doing amazing things. And you're doing amazing things. Uh, it's wonderful to hear you thriving yet again uh, and producing such creative work. Heart Tracks, thank you so much for chatting with me today on 3CR. Thank you so much for having me. Have a good day. Oh, 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 oh,
Heart of Tracks with their cover of The Moon by Cat Power. You're listening to Radical Radio 3CR.
daughter there praise his name and i did chat with jane this week and there is a content and trigger warning this interview explores issues around artistic musical and satirical themes that may trigger listeners or cause offense well we um are a satanic gospel rock and roll 10 piece we i guess it's like uh satanism for me is is about uh an anti-authoritarian kind of uh, position. <laughs> um, the album that we're writing and well, that that's written that we're recording now, a couple of singles that have come out. Um, it's about uh, it. Kind of tells the story of Satan, and it kind of 
is in in the way that a a, a religious text has a bit of um, preaching and a bit of storytelling. So that's what the album's like. And then the shows are um, when we play live. The shows are um, like a a musical version of a satanic church service with rituals and a lot of silliness. It's it's tongue in cheek in a in a certain way, and then also kind of serious in a, in another way. Um, that we're serious about the issues that we talk about, but um, it's done in a very silly way. We we all really enjoy silliness and playing. Yeah. How'd you end up in a ten piece satanic band? Um, well, it was it was a different kind of band a few years ago for sure. It was a uh, it was more like a grimy kind of blues rock thing and um, very gloomy and um, that was a five piece. So I guess I just at a certain point decided I wanted wanted a band. I just asked around to all my friends and saw who played an instrument and who was who was willing to play with me, and we formed this much smaller band. And then I guess I came up with this concept of having um, like the gospel element for satanic material. And that required having like a lot more members, um, brass, a lot of singers. um, And yeah, so I just kind of, I don't know, at a certain point I felt like music was too hard and I almost gave up because it's so hard to wrangle musicians. It's kind of like herding cats or herding four-year-olds into doing what what you want them to do you know and um a lot of the time that can become really really frustrating so I almost was at the point where I gave up and I was trying to figure out ways to do it more easily and then I took a little break and then I realized actually I just would prefer to try and make music the absolute the the exact way I want to with as many members as I can get in there and accept that it's going to be difficult and and just roll with that anyway, you know. It sounds so exciting. What I love about it is some people must take it seriously and get really offended. Uh, how do you manage all that? It actually hasn't happened. We've we've been. I've I've always kind of secretly hoped that there would be some religious organization that would come and pick at one of our shows, but it hasn't hasn't happened yet. Um, so we'll see what the future holds. I guess for that. It sounds quite political, especially the anti-authoritarian side of it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I guess like part of why I wanted to do it was because I have all these things that I find um, really important to talk about. And if you have even a small indie band sized platform, um, it feels like I want to be able to talk about um, trans issues and race and inclusivity and all these different things. But it's really hard to, to do that in a way that isn't twee and earnest, too overly earnest. And um, so I found the the Satanism um, angle a really good way to be political, but also be like kind of dark and twisted and weird and playful, you know. It's so good you want to highlight trans issues. It's really cool that you're kind of intertwining them in the genre that you are. Uh, tell us about the trans issues that you want to highlight. Well, just in general, like uh, – with um, the way that, that Satanism um, is, the, the way that Satanism works, I guess, in, in modern times is, is that it's about, um, for me at least, the, the idea of um, Satan um, is that he's 
this misunderstood, vilified character, and that it's the the normal guy that um, <laughs> that God is the the normal one that's the mainstream one that the one that's in charge, and it's the it's the the downtrodden and the and the different and the weird that's the that's that's always um advertised or explained or described as being the issue the problem in society and so we talk about a lot of different issues on stage about um who who is accepted by the mainstream who is vilified and trying to turn that around and um yeah i mean i just feel like it's it's like we're moving towards a place where um queer queerness and homosexuality is more kind of becoming more of an acceptable thing but but trans um rights and trans issues are still in this in the shadows almost and it's still like a lot of people who aren't coming into contact with trans people are are not um and not very accepting of that it feels it feels like it's too hard for people to accept that that aren't being exposed to it it's still in this place of that's that's strange and that's odd and that's wrong um and just being able to talk about it um like it's a normal thing and it's a beautiful thing and it's there's there's humans of all of all sorts that exist in this world you know so there's a real anarchist side, queer anarchist side to your work, and certainly anti-authoritarianism. Yeah, for sure. Um, I feel like um, I guess that's what drew me to the subject matter. Growing up with, uh, I grew up somewhat religious when I was younger, and then my parents stopped going to church. Um, so I had, and and then just like living in in this world that's entirely saturated by. Um, Christianity and the, the Abrahamic religions is the, this idea of the the authority of um, God, and that and that trickles down into politics, society, and etc. That it being this figure that's um, that you're meant to trust this this these these authority figures, but they're but they're nefarious. They don't have your best interests at heart a lot of the time the the government doesn't have your best interests at heart all the time um a lot of the time they're just trying to control the population or make it easier to govern and i think that that makes sense in a way why <laughs> why make it harder for you to govern but at the same time that authority is trying to convince you that they're doing this for you that you're that, that, that all these choices that are being made are being made for you and to make your life better. Um, but they aren't, really. A lot of the time, governments are trying to serve their own interests, and that's what God does. God says that he's, you know, that we're all his children and that, and that there, is a, there is a mission to... to um, uh, to work in um, areas of love and peace and harmony and and serving serving my children and all of this this kind of language, but if you read the Bible, it doesn't not like that a lot. God's an angry, awful guy, 
who's really hateful in a lot of ways towards his so-called children. So there's a correlation between um, God, in as as in the Christian God, and authoritarian figures in society. And it's so interesting because, of course, we're living in, in very authoritarian times, but also times that are influenced uh, by right-wing authoritarian Christian evangelicalism, if you like. And uh, we're really seeing that in politics in Australia to some degree. Uh, the Religious Discrimination Bill, for example, uh, you know, has has those elements to it. Uh, it sounds like you're a real antidote to all of that. <laughs> I hope so. If we can, if we if we have the ability to, I mean, it's really it was really inspiring um, watching uh, the satanic movement happen in the United States because that was all about that that kind of stuff that you just mentioned uh, about um, a reaction directly to. Um, what's happening in um, laws and uh, and and just doctrine in society about uh, including um, religion into daily lives, re- including religion into secular places. And the reason that they started using Satanism to combat that was because if you if you register as a religion as uh, a religious organization, so the Satanic Temple in the United States is a registered religious organization. And then the laws that are being passed that give Christian groups and churches so many rights to do all these things that are quite problematic um, also apply to those people. So there was uh, a case where um, there were um, these big monuments to the to the Ten Commandments outside of what should, what should be... Um, presented as secular institutions of law. And the laws that allowed them to erect these uh, statues of the Ten Commandments also protected this, the satanic temple from being able to then erect a, a enormous 12-foot brass statue of a demon god next to it. <laughs> and um, I just thought that was so wild and hilarious and fantastic. And yeah, I guess like that. As as those laws start to get made here, it's possible to do the same things here. So the religious discrimination bill, which is actually really a bill about protecting Christians from having their their content uh, censored out of secular institutions, um, that means that satanic co- content can also be uh, presented in the in the same exact ways that the Christian content is. And I think that that's a really hilarious way of combating uh, that issue. So what did you tick or what did you put down for, for religion on the recent census? I put down no religion because um, I've read some articles and some friends talked to me about uh, the idea that in this census, potentially, from what I understand, this 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 is secondhand information. I'll, I'll give you that caveat. But um, the... Uh, that what I heard was that if you put anything down other than no religion, they're going to use that as uh, statistical data to fund religious organizations. Because anything, including atheism, which is, which is really wild to me, that if you put down atheism or you put down Jedi, pirate, Satanist, um, any number of strange things other than no religion, that that statistical data then gets used to to say, well, there's this many people that are religious. So then that means we can put this amount of money 
into religious organisations and funding religious organisations because that's representational of the amount of people in the population that are religious. Um, so I hope I made the right choice there. You're listening to an interview with Dame Blacklock from Dame Blacklock and the Preacher's Daughter on 3CRs in your face. 3CR. I can't wait to catch one of your live shows. And of course, we don't know when that's going to happen, you know, when restrictions are going to ease. But uh, it sounds like, you know, you really work the crowd when you perform. There must be quite an energy on stage with 10 of you. Can you tell us a bit about your stage energy? Oh, it's awesome. Yeah, it's really fun. I mean, being on stage is like my favourite place to be in the universe. It's so much fun. And this band particularly is so much fun. We're all good friends and we're all like, um, have been playing music and performing in different ways for many years. And we've been playing together for many years. So there's a real comfort between us. And then it's just so much fun to, to kind of craft these shows around what are the most ridiculous and fun things we can do on a stage while we're also playing this music that we really love playing with each other. And I love the satire element that you've got happening as well. Yeah, it's really fun. I'm, I'm having a great time with it. Um, I mean, it's kind of satire. It's kind of, it's kind of serious but silly in a way. I don't know if I would call it satire exactly because we are actually saying what we mean. We're just kind of doing it while dancing and with a silly expression on our face. It sounds awesome. What's happening for you guys on the recording front at the moment? Oh, well, COVID threw a huge spanner in that, that process. We've been recording um, a full-length album for, uh, I guess it's coming up on two years, maybe even longer, I guess. We had it almost done. Actually, the principal recording was almost done just before COVID started. And then it's just been, um, you know, just like so many delays since then of, of okay, we've, we've organised a bunch of recording dates and it's hard because we have to get, for, for what we're trying to do now, we're trying to get the, the big vocal harmonies in and um, it's kind of one of the last pieces of the puzzle that is, is, is left to land. And it's the hardest one because we need to get, you know, eight people in a, in a room all together. And that's been really difficult to make happen um, in the last two years. And there's been gaps, but um, I feel like as a musician, like a person creating events, you, you get a momentum when those things are possible. And then when it stops happening, when the, when the lockdowns have ended each time, it's like I don't have my, – my momentum is not in the same place, so it takes a while for me to get back to the point where I can start organising things, organising shows, organising recording dates, and then there's another lockdown again. And especially with such a large amount of people in the band, it's so hard to get everybody lined up um, for, for a single day where everybody's free at the same time. So we're just it's just an uphill battle with COVID right now to get – the rest of the recording done and it's so tantalizingly within reach and we we just can't do it because of, because of lockdown restrictions so you guys were so close to finishing the album and then lockdown six happened in melbourne yeah yeah well lockdown one happened and then one through six <laughs> and we were we were so close we were 
we're, we're really still at that same level of only, uh, you know, four, probably four recording sessions, four days of recording left to go. And then the whole album would have been, would have been recorded. And in this whole period of time, it could have been being mixed and mastered. But this is, this is where we are. <laughs> well, it's so exciting. I can't wait to hear your album. I'm guessing 2022. Yeah. Um, I'd love, I'd love it to be sooner, but, um, maybe it's 2025, who knows with the way things are going. Um, but hopefully as soon as, as soon as we can do it, but we're going to be having, we're going to be releasing singles. Um, we've got two singles out from that album, um, praise his name and Lilith are two tracks that have come out already. Um, and hopefully we can finish one or two others with what we've got already. Um, and then the rest we'll, we'll have to wait until we can record more. Fantastic. Tell us about those singles. Let's start with Lilith. Tell us about that. Lilith is a, a banging rock and roll um, anthem. It's about Lilith, who is uh, the first woman who was created by God along with Adam in the, in the Garden of Eden. And um, as the story goes... Lilith and Adam went to make love for the first time and Lilith refused to lay down beneath Adam. And Adam then complained to God, oh, that my, my girlfriend's not doing what I wanted to do. Can you do something about this? So God banished Lilith from the Garden of Eden and created Eve out of Adam's rib um, so that she would be his property and under his control and um so it's really this story of um the the patriarchy creating situations that are awful for women and so Lilith being this um feminist hero I guess and um uh she becomes a kind of demoness a badass demoness that rules in a different way um having been rejected by the um by God and by her husband goes goes off and enjoys her independence as a as a as a demoness. Fantastic. Well we're gonna play that now on the show. Dane Blacklock, thank you so much for joining me on 3CR. Thank you so much. Have a great one.
old growth forest compared to a forest which is regrowing after a disturbance like logging they're actually quite different ecosystems generally like older wetter forests slow down the path of fire and this is actually quite a well-known phenomenon historically these big large fires have been quite rare but what we've seen in the last 20 years is they're becoming quite a lot more common so we've had three in the last 20 years this is definitely because of climate change which is making our ecosystems a lot drier and the fire weather more intense we need to keep radical voices on air Subscribe now. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 9419 8377.